You are now listening to the Purpose Edits Podcast. You've got to be willing to be vulnerable. You have to have the ability to self-assess, and not everybody has the ability to self-assess. You don't necessarily have to like sweet to be successful in school. You just have to know how to play the game and mess with it and get through it. Welcome to the Perfect Setters Podcast. This is a short yet powerful conversation designed to help you do three things that can ultimately change the trajectory of your life. One, discover your purpose. Two, walk in your purpose. And three, ultimately fulfill your purpose. I am your host, Coach Vic, and I'm joined as always by my lifelong friend, my brother, the educator, Dr. Shane Calhoun. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode. Today is a very special one because we got a special guest with us today. Um, last time we had a special guest, it was our sister, uh, Nelsia. However, we brought another sister on the podcast to talk about her career path, some of the challenges she's faced, and, and truly uh, some, of, some of the things that she's most passionate about. So if you would, welcome my sister, Dawn Scott to the show. How you doing today? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Man, it's so good to get you on the show. I'll be honest, I would have never thought I would have interviewed you on something like this. But right. you guys hey, are doing great. We appreciate that. You know, getting honest feedback, that's something we look for. Although we tell people if they got a, a bad criticism of us, keep it to themselves. But we still welcome honest feedback. Um, nonetheless, let's we start off every show with with what blew your mind. Shane typically takes this this uh, area, but I don't know if he was prepared today. So I'm gonna give him an opportunity to either say yay or nay. Yeah, I have a, I have a what blew your mind. It's kind of different to our normal thing. Um, nothing, I guess. I guess it is empowerment in a sense. But um, have y'all caught wind of uh, this uh, Jada Jada Pickett Smith? And August Alcina situation. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> what blew my mind about it? I'm not gonna get into details because this isn't the the uh, this isn't the form for it. But what blew my mind about it is um, how easily we get distracted. We done like you know we were watching a couple weeks ago. CNN was flashing the numbers: COVID, COVID, COVID. Then they started protesting. We didn't see numbers for two weeks. I'm looking around like. Did the numbers disappear? Now they back. The same thing. On my timeline, I don't know about y'all. Maybe I'll follow all the uh, promiscuous people out there. Nothing but Jada and entanglement. And we just get so easily distracted. And you would like to think that we were able to manage two things at one time. Like, yeah, of course we can talk about this Fugazi business over here and still um, deal with the times. But we just get so easily distracted and caught up in our energy just moves way too quickly on, on things. So I, I just kindly posted on Facebook tomorrow, you know, I know that we're dealing with some entanglement over there, but let's not forget Breonna Taylor hasn't had any justice yet. Those, those cops, right. those criminals are still out there. So yeah, I'll stop being so distracted, man. For real. It's almost like we're not, it shows that we're not truly passionate about what it is we say we're passionate about. Yeah. You know what I mean? If, if you're, if you blow with whatever direction the wind blow, right. Um, that, that says a lot about, you know, what you stand for, or at least what you're willing to stand for and whether or not you was truly meant, you know, uh, meant what you said, you mm -hmm. know, and, it, and that's frustrating, but it's people like you, it's people like us who have, who see that have a responsibility to get people focused back. Like, Hey, 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 yeah. puppy, come puppy, here. Puppy, <laughs> puppy. Back, right. over here. back over here. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's start. Let's start the show off. Let's get, get into this interview. Don. Yes. You know, a good way, a good way to start us off and help people discover, um, whether or not the career path and journey you've taken is the purpose for them is to tell us about your journey. How, tell us about your career path, what you do specifically, your, your title, and how you got there. Okay. I am um, an adult geriatric nurse practitioner. I have multiple degrees. So I also am a women's health nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. 
Now, some may say like, wow, why so many degrees? But at that time when I was going to school, I had the opportunity to do a post-master's. So I was going to be a nurse midwife and they had a post-master's program, which was only a couple of more hours to complete, which would allow me to get my women's health nurse practitioner degree as well. And so after that, what I realized working in the field was if I wanted to move to do something else, I was only limited to that one track dealing with women's health, which then said, no, you know, I need to go back to school to get my adult geriatric. That way I can deal with the whole community and I'm not just focused in on women. Hmm. Okay. I chose the path, I think, when I was 13, my uncle was diagnosed with leukemia. And I remember at that time hearing that, you know, there was nothing more that could be done for him. And so I think that kind of sparked me wanting to go into a medicine field and nursing kind of seemed to cover everything. It covered everything so when i got into to the prestigious florida a and m university don't, in start don't start nothing <laughs> <laughs> so, just so our listeners know uh, I, I learned that you could go and get an advanced degree so i said in that point like you know at some point in time i'm going to go back and get my master's degree and become a nurse practitioner where i could then treat the people and they could come to someone that looked like them mm. Mm. to be able to provide that quality care for the community. Hmm. What was, as far as you said, you had a lot of degrees. What, mm -hmm. what are all the degrees that you have and what is a typical career path for a nurse practitioner? Um, so I'm a adult and geriatric primary care nurse practitioner. That is a master's degree. Um, prior to that, as a women's health nurse practitioner, that's a master's degree and a certified nurse midwife, which is all master's degrees. Okay. So it's a post-master's um, track that I had to follow for that. Um, what did you get your bachelor's degree in? My bachelor's degree is in nursing. Okay, so you so typically a person would get a bachelor's degree in nursing and then one of those advanced degrees. Right, gotcha. right. And so the typical track is, is that you are going to have to have your bachelor's of nursing degree mm -hmm. and then you can advance on to your master's. And now you can go up to your doctorate degree of nurse practitioner. So you can oh, receive wow. what's called the DNP. A doctor you to get that? Are you are you good where you are? I'm good where I am for now. Yeah. Um, but you never know what the future holds. I never knew that that's what sent you into nursing. You know, I remember Uncle Sean, right, and and his mm -hmm. passing. I never knew that that you know sparked this interest. And so after all these years, it's crazy to hear that. So so you mentioned. You got the degree with a specialization focused on women. Mm -hmm. That that made you feel like you would have been locked in to only be able to help and service women. Yeah, well, I, that jumped out. Sorry to interrupt, Don, but that jumped mm -hmm. out at me because I find that especially when there's schooling involved, the further up you move in the ladder, is mm -hmm. the more specialized you become. Mm -hmm. Like we're no longer really interested in your expertise from a broad perspective, you lock into this track and, and that's where it is. And that, that jumped out to me as well. So you care to elaborate? Right. At that time, when I chose nurse midwifery, I had had my son and I delivered with a nurse midwife. So I'm like, wow, you do this, like the care of the woman throughout the entire pregnancy and delivery. So I'm like, that's something special. I can take that route. So I enrolled in school and that was a track I was going to take because in my mind, it was really about empowering women. Yeah. I was going to educate women about their bodies, 
about their health, how to take care of themselves, to, to go about their daily lives, like caring for yourself. In that, I think at that time, I must have lost the idea that it really is about caring for everyone in the community. So as I worked that track, that was great. But then, you know, things happen and you say, gosh, I am limited. I can't go beyond because when you look for other jobs, they're saying, hey, you have a specialty and some are willing to take the chance on you, some are not. And so I had to go back and get another degree, which I'm glad I did. Do you feel like there's a gap in women edu being educated on how to take care of themselves because you kind of mentioned you know i wanted to go back and educate women that was suggested that you that you identified a gap yes there definitely is that lack of information when it comes to how to properly care for yourselves how many of us women or as young girls have had those conversations with their moms about womanhood, mm. adulthood, things that we are going to experience, the changes in our bodies, what does that mean? And so I felt like if you're kind of in a position where you can educate the people, they can take that information and, and pass it down. So I took that knowing that yes there was a gap because a lot of women don't have someone that they can talk to about their issues hmm. mm -hmm. you said uh several times i've heard you say our community and in that i heard like representation why is that representation in our community um important what i feel like is that there are not a lot of us that our people can identify with yeah you know when you think that you're going to see your doctor is this old middle-aged white guy yeah and to have someone that look like us that have experienced some of the things that you have experienced culturally you can kind of relate on a different term mm -hmm. and so then building that trust with them and then you know once you build that trust with them and then they realize like hey you know you know what you're talking about as well they feel comfortable in sharing it's it it's that bond that we need to have with the community and knowing that we exist too and we have your back yeah. you have you know educated professionals out here that can do the same work yeah yeah you get to redefine the the thought process and the stereotype and the assumption about what a doctor a nurse a lawyer etc etc looks like I, yeah. I chose my primary based on him being black as i'm getting older i want to know what affects me specifically because i'm finding out that there are things that impact me as a black man that don't impact white men and it right. at different ages so i want to know now in order to get ahead um man i think that that's that's dope that's real dope right. um i know that you know you you were a traveling nurse at one yes. point you know um how did that play into your career path and some of the decisions that you made um with traveling it just allowed you to see things abroad like there the many different systems that are out there, being accustomed to the change and being able to adapt quickly. Because you know, in medicine, they really want to see that you're independent, that you can adapt quickly and that you can change with the systems, you know, because things have changed over time. You know, medicine has evolved um, since our histories. And so, that had equipped me to be able to go into a system and say, you know, hey, just like pretty much give me the rundown of what I need to know to come into your hospital. I can take care of my patients on a short-term basis and then go to my next assignment. And so I think that really helped me just with transitioning, 
the mindset that says, you know, you don't have to be stuck in one system. Mm-hmm. You can transfer and you can move about and adapt very quickly. Coolest place you visited. And uh-huh. it might be a two part question then. Um, which place taught you the most? Um, I was the coolest place I visited that I liked was California. I love their weather there. The time change was kind of hard to adjust coming from East Coast, kind of going back and forth. Um, Where I learned the most was in Baltimore. I worked at Johns Hopkins Mm. um, Hospital. And that is an elite place to work. The doctors, the neurosurgeons, the staff, all educated, all professional, quality care. And that kind of set, you know, it set the standard. And that too, they had a lot of workers, again, that looked like us. And I hate to keep going back to what looked like us, but as a people, we kind of want to follow what looks like us. It lets us know like, hey, I can follow in your footsteps. We don't have to be limited. Yeah, don't feel bad for acknowledging oh. acknowledging that. Not on this show. We, we, <laughs> as long as you do it with respect, we can talk about it, baby. That's what we want to do. <laughs> Look, Shane, Shane. Every time you say my community, I see him get taller and taller. I know it. I just I, I want to run down that rabbit hole. <laughs> I, I, and I guess when you say that, because I'm thinking about the importance, but I'm also thinking about the other side when somebody hears that. And of course, if you want to take it that way, you can. It's not exclusionary. You know, we're not trying to say you're not good enough to care right. for us. We are trying to say we want people that look like us to care for us. So how do you get that message across with, um, without it being exclusionary? And also with that, do you seek those opportunities more? Like, do you jump to opportunities where you get to take care of people that look like you quicker than others? And that sounds crazy, but I mean, it's a question. No, no, you're absolutely correct. And so how we're able to care for people. Okay, So say, um, for instance, sickle cell anemia mostly affects African-American community, Mm. you know, and so in the thought process about this, like Dawn, you know, what do you want to do? How can you impact our people? you know, you have to then go to those diseases that are most prevalent in our Mm, community, mm. you know? And so when you see like the hypertension, the diabetes, the obesity, the sickle cell, that has an impact on African-Americans. And so, you know, you want to do something in that realm. Um, When you're offered opportunities, you know, like naturally, um, everyone doesn't have, insurance and so you work with a low income low socioeconomic uninsured population you know you they still deserve quality care yeah and so that doesn't make me run away from caring for them it it draws me in you know to say like hey you are a person you're a human being you should get the same care that your white counterparts are or have access to. With that being said, and you don't have to be specific, but do you see a disparity in the treatment of people of low socioeconomic versus the ones with the wealth? Absolutely. Okay. And what what are some of the things, as I I don't want to put you on the spot, but without being too specific, what are some of the things, examples of which that you see? Um, Well, for one, so when when you're seen by a provider, um, well, just to go back, those patients that don't have insurance or money usually don't go to their primary providers regularly to have treatment. Uh, yeah. So they use the hospital, the emergency room as their doctor. Because they don't have money, when they come into the hospital, they're already at advanced stages, meaning that high blood pressure that I could have controlled 
two months ago is now exacerbated beyond and it takes a little longer to get under control. Mm. That raises cost in the hospital that increases length of stay. So that's more money that's attributed to this patient that already does not have. Mm. And it just goes back to not having the access from the jump. It, gotcha. it goes back to that access. And so in order to cut down on costs, in order to cut down on length of stay, we're trying to get a hold of these patients beforehand. Now, with that, you have a patient that may need to see a specialist. So you come in, you're having GI symptoms. They refer you to a gastroenterologist. Well, specialties get paid based off of procedures, insurance, money coming in. So if I tell you, if I'm seeing you in the hospital and I say, follow up with me in my office, that visit takes a copay, mm. money that they don't have. So the likelihood of them following up with that provider is unlikely unlikely and so that's kind of where we see the difference between those that are uninsured and those that don't have coverage or have coverage and don't have coverage so the initial question is how can we help as a community what can we do um there are funding you know the hospital gets pay money to care for this indigent community. And so they can't turn anyone away. I think just in thinking about a solution, what can we do? You know, the Affordable Care Act was something in place that would allow for a lot more of the community to have coverage to be able to go to these doctors. Um, now we're kind of in a economic crisis to where people can't afford to even pay those monthly, Mm. um, assessments for Mm. insurance. And so in my mind, the thought process is, okay, if you don't have insurance, at least you can pay what's like on a fee-for-service scale, Mm. which kind of drops things down a little bit lower to be a little affordable. You're contracted with like lab cores and things in the community that can get labs drawn. You know, you then have to kind of go out and talk with these doctors and say, hey, listen, we have some illness here in the community will you be able to see these patients at a reduced price, something that's affordable and they can get the care that they need. So does a system like that currently exist or are you suggesting that's what needs to happen? It is in place. It's just finding those doctors that are willing to take that. Like basically like a lawyer who does pro bono work. Yes. Yes. And that's tough because, you know, you, you're basically getting paid at a cheaper, cheaper rate. And, um, but I mean, it yes. just, you know, it goes back to what's the greater good for, I guess, humanity. And that's a whole nother, whole nother other conversation. Right. Um, that's rough. What has been the biggest challenge for you to overcome in your career path? If you haven't stated already. Um, The biggest challenge I think would be the acceptance, um, knowing that, you know, knowing what we do as nurse practitioners, you know, that we are able to assess, we are able to prescribe, we are able to treat um, most disease processes and just in, in identifying, you know, what part we play in the medical community. You know, we're not educated nurses, that mm. type of thing. You know, they kind of look at us like, oh, yeah, you're in advance. You have a master's degree. You're a nurse. You know, they, it, it's... Is that the stigma? Yes. And so an as a nurse, nurse, 
you know, with nurses, doctors give them the orders. As a nurse practitioner, we give them the orders. Mm. You know? And so doctors kind of, they need to know the roles. And so mm. I think that like plays a part into to really what kind of limit us. So is the misconception more with doctors and how they treat nurse practitioners or people not knowing the difference between a doctor and a nurse practitioner? I think the people know that we exist because the patients that I've come across prefer to see me. They prefer hmm. the nurse practitioner. And so I don't think it's their lack of knowledge, but I think it's the doctors accepting our roles, what we do. Almost as if they're trying to keep some separation between their status and yours. Right. So could could a, a person who's looking for a primary care physician, right? Could they specifically look for nurse practitioners? They can, yes. And I don't know if you're aware, um, but the governor had just signed into law where nurse practitioners can be independent providers. So they're still working out the logistics of how they're going to monitor us with Florida being you know, a new state, allowing us to work independently, meaning we don't have to be um, in a collaborative agreement with a physician. And so this past July, um, nurse practitioners were to be able to, to say, go out and have their own private practice, but they're still working on how that's going to kind of play out. It's like in the beginning stages to see how providers, how the community is going to take to us being able to work independently. In light of this new information, being able to operate with your own independent practice was that something you always aspired to do and now having this information are you moving in that direction yes i definitely have always aspired to have my own clinic um i think as practitioners you know that's something that you move toward because when you when you get the advanced degree as a practitioner you kind of feel as if you know you are the one that's in charge of the care. And so not having someone over your shoulder, you know, in which we're going to provide evidence-based care either way, like you're definitely going to practice within your scope and knowing what is outside of your scope is where we fall into knowing that if it's something that we can't handle, we're going to refer you out to a specialist either way. And so that's something we did with the physician watching over us or not having them there. So we're still going to practice safely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's probably important for patients to know in identifying what their options are. And mm -hmm. if I seek out a nurse practitioner, what should I expect? Yes. Yeah. So okay. If they're, if they're looking, um, they actually, and there are searches, you know, you just go on the website and you search for nurse practitioners um, in private practice. Here now in Florida, again, because it's so new, they're still kind of figuring out what steps we're going to take to be able to be independent. So do you know how many states um, th this I guess, new law is active in? Um, currently, there are other states that have already and that have been in private practice for years now. And so I guess Florida just has to kind of look at their models, see how they're operating, and then they may take some information from those states and um, put it into Florida's practice laws. Okay. So it sounds like this, this is something that you're, you're really passionate about the, the care of the community, the care of your community. 
Um, And I think that that is a big piece of what leads a person to define their purpose and and discover their purpose. And and that's the premise of of our show is we want to try to help people discover their purpose and continuously walk in their purpose by talking to people who are already doing it or still in pursuit of it. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, what would be your advice to some young, and I'm going to start some young boy, some young girl, some young man, some young woman, because, uh, you know, there's a stigma that men are doctors and women are nurses. So anyone who is potentially thinking about uh, starting a career in the healthcare industry, what would be your advice for them in seeking uh, to be a nurse practitioner? I think, you know, you do your research. Um, you definitely want to be in an area that you're passionate about. You have to have a passion for people, you know, in all realms. It's not just our community because we're going to come into contact with other communities. And so you'd, you have to first have a passion for the people, you know, and wanting to help. And so that starts at a young age with even do a community service. Um, involvement, committing your time, because we do do a lot of volunteer hours. Um, And so just going out, getting involved with organizations that go out. Um, I know the health department go out and do free blood sugar checks and free blood pressure checks in the community, you know, and so just getting with them and, and getting the time in to see if that's a route you'd like to take. Um, when it comes to where you want to go, I'm going to always push for Florida A&M University because I feel like we got a phenomenal education experience there under, under our Dean, Margaret Lewis. And so they are really one of the top nursing programs here in Florida. Um, and so I would definitely advise, look, look at that university as well as others. You know, people may have their certain picks, but as long as they're accredited, an accredited school where you can come out, because I always say, no one asked me where I went to school. All they want to see is my degree. Mm-hmm. And so really, it doesn't matter where you obtain your education from as long as you're prepared. Gotcha. That's dope. So, um, and I asked this in total tongue in cheek, is this a COVID-19 thing real? Um, It definitely is real. You know, I've talked to colleagues that work the intensive care units that see the patients that are intubated on ventilators, giving multiple medications, trying to see if this patient is going to recover from this. And so if you ask the healthcare workers, yes, it's real. If you had to ask family and friends that have lost someone, it's real. If you have to look at the numbers, we know that the death is real. Mm -hmm. And so if you think it's not Talk to someone that has lost someone. Mm-hmm. What should we be paying attention more? Should because I've heard um, some folks talk about that the death rate is down, which in real life it is. The death rate uh, is down, but the numbers are shooting up. So should we be paying more attention to the numbers on the death rates sinking down, the ICUs um, being overwhelmed, or the actual numbers of cases? I think you have to consider all numbers because what's happening is is that the more we are exposed our bodies build up antibodies against it right so it's just like you going to get a vaccination you get that vaccination in 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 order to prevent an exacerbated disease process and so if we are continuously exposed to it, when, when you come into contact with it, you sh- your symptoms should be minimized. Mm. That's the premise of already coming into contact with it. 
And so you have to then think about the mindset of the people. If I come into contact with it and I can get sort of a natural immunity to it, to where I can just go home, quarantine myself, my body has built up antibodies against it, I should be okay. Now, when, it, when you're looking at the death numbers going down, it's possibly because initially, you know, we didn't know how to react to it. We didn't know how the disease was going to react in us. And so you had those persons that was immunocompromised that succumbed to the virus. Their immune systems weren't strong enough. They didn't recognize the virus. And so here now, as we're doing treatment, we're able to manage it a little bit more to where those numbers are. Well, it looks like it's slowing down. Mm. Yeah, it's all connected. That makes sense. Now that we have somewhat of a handle on how it's reacting to us internally. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, you know, you hear people say the number one thing you can do is stay home. Uh, there's talks of everyone should have on mask and some people feel like it's their, their right to not wear a mask. Um, I'll ask the question, do the masks really work? Do they help? Yes. Yes. Because the, the virus itself is, is spread once it comes into contact with your, your, system, your systems. And so if you're looking at, if I cough and this virus can potentially go six feet away, you have it on your hands, you have it on your arm, you know, we are constantly touching our faces. So if I touch anywhere here where it can go into my respiratory tract, then I'm potentially going to be exposed to it. So the mask protects you and me. Because if I have to cough or sneeze, at least it's contained within that environment. So answer this in terms of understanding the, the disease and how the transmission works. The six foot radius is what is prescribed as the distance. Mm -hmm. In terms of us normal day talking, is my breath from conversation going six feet or is that only the distance it can travel if I cough and, and you know, uh, push it out to that distance? Well, naturally, when you cough or you sneeze, it's that extra force that's right pushing it out further into the environment. And so normal talking it shouldn't but if you are a forceful talker then naturally you have the potential to spread it further all right so everybody heard that whisper from now on we need <laughs> to whisper and that will help with the mask and everything else we're gonna slow this down and 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 i say that comment in jest this is a very serious topic please understand but i i understand because I'm in it just as all of us are in it, that this is a stressful time. There is a lot of things that are uncertain. Um, there are people in their emotions that um, aren't sure how to process them. You know, we, we had a couple episodes where we talked about mental health um, and you know, that, that took me to want to ask you about, you know, within the healthcare field, is mental health something that healthcare professionals like yourself have to deal with with regards to patients or is that a whole different field? It absolutely is. I look at it as, you know, in healthcare, we have come across death. Everyone in healthcare unequivocally can say they have experienced death. During this time, I don't think anyone can say they've experienced this much death in such a short period of time. And so you have to almost kind of think about our military guys in war, that they've seen so many things that they come back traumatized. And so what I will say is that our nurses, our doctors, our healthcare providers, they're going to need some type of mental health care. 
because it's almost as if they're put into a post-traumatic situation. Right now, we're working on adrenaline. So it's fight or flight. So we are taking care of these patients in our best form. But then when it does kind of settle down, mentally, you're going to have to prepare for that exhaustion that these providers have seen. One question I want to revisit while it's on my mind is kind of off topic. But when you talk about uh, when you talk about how important it is to see professionals who look like us, you know, uh, within the community, tell us what it means for you when you come across a patient who has expressed, hey, it's so good to see somebody that looks like me helping me. It, it does feel good. And, and you do get that. They get the, you know, I am so proud of you you know, that you advanced your career, you get retired nurses, you know, that you're caring for, that they are shocked to see you, a black woman coming in to care for them. Because back when they were nurses, it probably wasn't as prevalent to see the advanced degree nurse. And so it is, it is a sense of accomplishment you know, to know that you are in a position to, to make a difference, to make a difference and that you have people looking at you, you know, and so you kind of have to carry yourself a certain way. You kind of have to, you know, it's a professional environment. And so you, you treat patients a certain way. We always say, you know, treat people how you would want to be treated. And so going in, you know, you look at this patient as if they're your family member and we all are family. Hmm. All right. As a professional, as a, as a woman, I ask all our guests this question. Give us three people you listen to in terms of advice and why. Three people you listen to. Initially, to start off, I would have to say you naturally listen to your mom because that's the first person that is going to ever advise you of right and wrong. Um, and so they kind of give you that disciplinary aspect, the love that you need. Um, in life. And so you have to take that wisdom from them. Of course, you don't always agree with what your parents say, but knowing that it comes from a loving place, you have, have to definitely take that, that wisdom from them. Um, I think I admire President Barack Obama, because I think um, throughout, when you look at the challenges that he might have faced going in, he still welcomed that. And so I think, too, as a people just in not have ever meet, met him or being able to talk to him, but just knowing that in life, we're going to meet some adversities and that you can't let someone persuade you not to take a certain path in life. I do feel like everything for us is already predetermined. And so you're going to face these adversities, these struggles. You're, and just to see how you overcome that that's the part where we have to know that people are watching. You know, like I said, I've never met him, but you watch and you see how mm -hmm. they come through things. Mm -hmm. That's the main thing. And um, let me see, a third person. As a woman, um, hmm. 
it would have to be Michelle Obama. Cause that's that, that's, you know, that's his side piece. That's the one that under the radar keeps the house in order. Hmm. You know, um, strong, black, intelligent woman. I admire her for still having to go through those adversities with her husband and probably in the background, having to continue to build him up. Yeah. You know, when he's hearing these things, you know, of course I can't go into my Michelle Obama voice and be, honey, don't listen to what they're telling you. You know, mm -hmm. you are my black king. You are meant to be here. Her, Michelle Obama, I admire her for who she is. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, all right. So it, let's, let's bring this train to a close. This, is, this has been a great conversation so far, learning about you, your career path, some of the challenges you face. And I think that this quote is probably very, uh, very fitting for... Um, who you are as a person. Um, Angela Davis wrote this or said this. We all have a certain measure of responsibility to those who have made it possible for us to take advantage of today's opportunities. Yes. I totally would agree with that quote. And it's fitting because we do have a younger generation that's coming up behind us, you know, and they're seeing the struggle, they're seeing the fight, they're seeing our tenacity to push through, even in a time where, you know, you would have thought racism was behind us. Um, I, I would agree that you know, we just have to remember that we have a young generation that is looking up to us, that's seeing how we respond, you know, to adversity. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, accepting responsibility is one of the hardest things for any person to do. But I also believe it's one of the most rewarding things, because if you put your head down, if you put your nose to the grindstone, you're going to come out smelling like a rose. It's going to pay off because not everybody's going to be able to do it. Not everybody has that mental dexterity. So again, thank you for rocking with us. Thank you for listening to us, Don. We appreciate your time. Uh, we appreciate the information that you shared. It's been a pleasure. Uh, any parting words? No, I would just say continue doing what you're doing. Um, defining purposes in the community um, and keep spreading the word. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listeners, go like, share, subscribe. Uh, most importantly, live life on purpose. We out. I'm winning